Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an educational and entertaining exploration of all things erotic. From sacred sexuality to fetishes, power exchange relationships and leather life, BDSM to polyamory, as well as simply fun kink. Each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic life in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. If you are offended by this type of content or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Ready. Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Or I should say, good day. Good day, yes. You knit. I'm a knit. <laughs> You're a niggly knit. A niggly knit. Nice. Uh, and and if we're not careful, this will become a icky situation. Uh-oh. Well, that's not good. And the reason I'm talking in these interesting... Um, idioms? Idioms. Thank you. <laughs> well, don't be a dodger. <laughs> Am I a shrimp on the oh, barbie? Oh, that's a, that's a chunk of bread. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, and I would have known that if I had read this book, Aussie English, an explanation of the Australian idiom. Yes. And the reason we bring this up is because... Well, because I've been um, chatting with a Spicy, who is actually from the U.S., but has been living in Australia for a while. Mm-hmm. So, And um, she listened to the podcast, and she ordered one of our books, and decided to send us a book in return. So she... she uh, yeah, she wanted to know why, uh, why she wanted me to realize why she says different things the way she does. Yeah. So she's got this coworker that um, she told me that if she tells him to have a good day, that uh, they really don't like that. So he'll respond with, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was asking why. So she sent me a book. She did indeed send you a book, and it's got all these kinds of different words that Australians would use, idioms mm-hmm. that we could use. For example, by calling you a niggly nit. I suggested that you are perhaps a bad-tempered um, nut, perhaps. Oh, a bad-tempered nut? No. Or a cockatoo. <laughs> I'd better read this more deeply. So, there's a, and so we've got the whole wide world sort of uh, thing going on on this podcast. Yes. We've, uh, we're going to be talking to Michelle Belanger. Mm-hmm. You did an interview with her at 3 a.m. I did. So what was that? A couple of weekends ago on uh, Sado Shamanism. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's right here in Ohio. Yes. And then we have our listener comment, or our listener, actually, this uh, came in as a question of the day, but it's ended up going to be pretty much a lot of, uh, or at least half of the topic yeah. of the day. Yeah. Uh, what you and I are going to talk about is the fact that I am a Buddhist master, mm-hmm. and you are a pagan priestess slave, yes. and how those kind of things work. How can you hold to your religion like that right? and still have a power exchange relationship. Mm-hmm. Good question. Yeah, just on our last uh, two episodes ago, uh, Lee Harrington and Aiden came on and talked about MS spirituality. Right. And, um, and very interesting stuff. We're going to bring in a little bit the home to my religion and being a master and your religion and being a slave. Right. And other people perhaps can get something out of that. Uh, that was at a suggestion from somebody out of New York. New York. So we've gone mm-hmm. from Australia to Ohio to New York. And then we're going all the way fucking out to... Um, and I'm going to have to uh, actually read this to make sure I get it as close as right as possible. Um, oh, gee, where is it now? Azerbaijan? Yes. Yes. So... Right. Azerbaijan. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's how they pronounce it there too. I am from I am from. So we have uh, somebody who wrote us S, who says they uh, they know how much th- we enjoy hearing from foreign listeners, mm-hmm. and um, 
they wrote it, he wrote us, uh, or she, now that I think about it. Well, it's an S, yeah, so it could be either. It could be either. Wrote it was us, a porn link that they sent us to, so I assumed it was a guy, I think. I know, that's terrible. <laughs> Isn't that bad? <laughs> wrote us all the way from Azerbaijan, and yes. you were telling me that that is somewhere uh, in the vicinity of Turkey Yeah, and we were Ukraine. looking on the map, and it, it's Turkey and Ukraine right. seem to be kind of, I didn't even know they were close together, but I guess that makes sense if you think of the risk board. <laughs> because that's the only thing I have to go by for for an atlas. Oh, that's bad. That's wonderful. That's where I got my geography from. It's from playing the game Risk. Um, Kamen Crotch, right, right. It's the Kami- one with the red line to Alaska. Got exactly, okay. exactly. I think it's Kamchatka, not Kamen Crotch. Which is what we always called it. Um, anyway, so S wrote us um, and sent us a link to some pictures that kept oh, you busy yeah. for a while. So, More tentacles. I know they were saying they hoped it provided a giggle with me. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a giggle. I had a ooh. Uh, look at this, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> That took so much for what we were going to get done that night. <laughs> uh, got done of that. And also a very nice card they sent us as well. Yes. So that was very kind yes. of them. So, yeah, very uh, nice. So it's neat to hear from Australia and Azerbaijan and, all, and, mm-hmm. and you know places in the U.S. as well. It's just really neat to recognize that we are in service to people, not just our local community, yes. but around the world. It's really neat. Absolutely. Speaking of being in service, we did yesterday we did our MS Intensive. We did. Oh, my God. So much fun. Yeah. We did a, a four-hour lunch and learn, right? We, right. Um, uh, well, it was, uh, one, yeah, it was four hours of teaching and an hour for lunch. Right, so. right. Yeah. There's a, was... a place in north of uh, where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual, the town is Royalton or... North Actually, we're in North Royalty. Yes, yes. And um, we contacted uh, a chef up there who's got a place. Mm-hmm. So um, we had uh, 20... Seats available. And right. I think we did actually twenty one reserve. Twenty one people actually ended were there. up having twenty one people, and, and just a fantastic time. I, we it just was. covered so much time stuff. We went from very deep. Um, how do you navigate your MS breakup? Right to um, how do I communicate if when a you know a power exchange dom sub relationship or an owner property right. relationship? Right. There was uh, pieces in there of how as a master do you make hard decisions knowing that they're going to hurt me? Yeah. As yeah. your slave. Oh my god, that got everyone crying and you know so but uh, but there was a lot of laughter, some crying. You uh-huh. know, there was, it was it was great. It's just people came in with questions and I think we about covered everybody's questions. Mm-hmm. And um, had a great lunch outside. The sun was finally out. So we got to enjoy some sunshine. Ohio has not had much of that over the past few weeks. And then uh, finished up with a game. Yeah. the um, (laughs) I realized we would be digging through the dirt a lot. And I didn't want to, you know, send people home thoughtful and introspective but mopey. Right. So we wrapped it up with our kinky game show, Do These... Chaps, Do these chaps make my ass look fat, <laughs> and uh, that was a lot of fun. With Lord Superdom and Vanilla White. <laughs> yes. And we, we even had some people say, you know, as much as I got from the rest of the class, I wish the game show was a little longer, because yeah. that was a lot of fun. That was a lot so of that was, fun. So that's great. We got so much out of doing that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was just a wonderful experience. Uh, we had people from um, Columbus, all the way around Cleveland, and even Pittsburgh. Yep. So yeah. people traveled a couple of hours to, to get to it. So, so And we met some new people. So oh, yeah. that was yeah. nice as yeah. well. So uh, always a, that was a great pleasure. And we realized we absolutely could do the eight-hour version of the same Absolutely. Intensive. There's some things that we would have liked to have added in. 
But there's certain topics that on their own will take an hour yes. to get through. And it's yes. like, well, look, I can't, we can't do absorb an hour on this one big topic mm-hmm. for a four-hour thing because there's so many things to get through. So we were thinking the eight-hour version, there'd be a lot to add in as that as right. well. Right. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and we would be. Uh, we realized on the ride back, we we're like, "Well, are we? What, do we want to do something like this again?" It's absolutely. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you are in Chicago or Austin or got to uh, throw in Austin or Indy or Atlanta or, or uh, Australia or Australia or Scotland or Can't Scotland, Scotland. Uh, <laughs> Italy. Yes. Right, let's not go through the where we have listeners. <laughs> um, anywhere, right? We'd be more than happy to come out there and do the intensive. I'm Absolutely. putting up a web page on our Erotic Awakening website Great. to explain it a little more and what we uh, uh, would do and all that. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, if you'd like us to come out, just send us a holler to the at, um, Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com, and we'll, we'd be more than happy to come out there and do that. There's Fabulous. other ways to contact us, too. There is. So our phone number is 206 206- Three zero nine zero zero five four. I'd like to hear some accents. <laughs> that would be cool. So, and then of course you can go to our website, which is eroticawakening.com, and there's other ways listed to contact us as well. Uh, indeed, there is. Now, um, so I want to get into talking about being a Buddhist. Okay. Uh, we'll get there in a second. I, I do want to mention really quickly that um, uh, I was looking through the presenters that are going to be at uh, Camp Out. In nice, July. Nice. And that is like, what is the date on? That's right around the corner. That's going to be July 13th. Yeah. One day after my birthday, by the way. Yes. Right and after we come back from uh, Canada. So, speaking <laughs> of international travel, we'll be going from Canada. We're going to turn right around and go down to Walton, West Virginia. Well, we come home long enough to do one day of laundry, <laughs> clean out the pop up, and head right on back out. <laughs> um. So uh, camp out. The presenters are all lined up. Oh, that's mm-hmm. where I was starting at. I was looking yes. at the presenters that are there. And um, obviously you and I are presenting there, but also some really interesting looking uh, people are going to be there. Uh, so just can't wait for that. You can find out more at transcampout.org if you're interested because they still have plenty of opportunities for people. And one of the nice things about it is it, we have found that the camping events, yes. especially when you get into the three, four-day, uh, mm-hmm. this is a four-day event, uh, it just gives you that opportunity to relax and really get yes. into the space and really take a break from everything else and be the authentic person you want to mm-hmm. be. And, you know, if you come across people you want to chat with, you've got time to chat. I mean, there's plenty of workshops, but there's plenty of social stuff as well. So, you know, plenty of time to get to know each other and just relax. Yep. You'll probably want to take some toys with you, so I do want to mention a um, the good old. The, <laughs> hey, you see, I know I've known you long enough to know what that giggle is. Um, if you look, go to the Erotic Awakening website, you'll see our new spanking bench. It yes. is the Erotic Awakening spanking bench. It's got mm-hmm. our logo on it. Yes, uh, Beric from uh, AIS fame made that for us. It is the most fantastic piece of furniture we've ever owned. It is. It's still in the middle of the living room. Yes, I know. <laughs> I just go by and stroke it and kind of wink at Dan and say, you know, it's in the middle of the living room. Yes, it is. But you've already ridden that. I have ridden it. And um, we did bust out our canes from the kink shop yes. and beat you with those. Uh, mm-hmm. And boy, did you move. I did. I and moved. And, mm, you know, a big girl does not like to hear a squeak in a piece of furniture. And I did not hear a squeak. That thing is so steady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, 
Well, I tell you, you can't just can't just can't say enough about that. And the really neat thing was watching Beric and Sheba bring it in in mm-hmm. pieces. And he busts out a single tool and zip, 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 zip. And it's all put all together, together. And it's rock solid. Yeah. It ain't going nowhere. So no. uh, I, have, I have failed in breaking a cane on your ass so far. You have. But um, you tried. <laughs> I, and I promise to keep trying to support our loyal listeners who are yes. waiting to find out if it's possible. Um, we got... Um, as you know, one of the ex- we don't have a whole lot of expenses in the podcast, um, but apparently people have been listening to the podcast when we say Maui Kink has got nice rope and nice stuff, and maybe they got some neat stuff in. They have an Etsy mm-hmm. store in Etsy, Etsy, yes, S T Y Etsy store now for mm-hmm. some of the really personalized stuff. Nice, and they say, well, Danny Don, enough people have said that they're buying their stuff uh, because they heard about Maui Kink, our, yeah. our stuff on your podcast that we would like to buy your. Printer cartridges for the month. Yay! Which, although that's not a huge expense, it certainly is a nice set. Yeah. Uh, you know, this whole gratitude thing going, mm-hmm. right? Where I don't have to charge anybody to listen to the podcast, right? right? I, was, I was looking at some of the more famous people podcasters. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like kink. I mean, you know, like people that used to have TV shows and stuff. Right, right. Where they sell premium content. So we don't have to do anything like Mm-mm. that. Um but when our listeners, you know, say, oh, well, you know what? I got to buy some rope. I'll go check out Maui Kink and I'll mm-hmm. select. We heard about you on Erotic Awakening. Yes. And then, you know, that shows some great gratitude. And then mm-hmm. Maui Kink says, oh, let me show you some gratitude. So we get this big circle jerk of gratefulness. Yes. It's uh, awesome. It is, it's really, and it's a wonderful way to operate, right? Mm-hmm. I could, we could just charge people, you know, $40 a month, uh, or I guess it'd be a Ten dollars a month for our four listeners, right? <laughs> but instead, you know, instead it works this way. Very yeah, happy. Or with we that. could charge our advertise, you know, the people that we advertise on here. But instead, we're doing the the product reviews and yeah, and right. it goes around. And, and I'm sure some of our listeners are going, no, you, you really couldn't charge for that. No, <laughs> for your uh, commercials, no, no, you gotta get your shit together before you charge for that. So if you go over to uh, Maui Kink, um, you can. Continue until June 1st. All, time's almost up to get 10% off your order. E-R-A-10 is the secret code. And, and I want to recommend the two toys that came in that we got to open. Oh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. The fire hose slapper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the rattan uh, rug beater. I want to do an actual, we'll do a full review on those okay. next podcast. Awesome. Because we did get to use them a little bit, but mm-hmm. both are um, new toys to me. Now, the, the fire hose slapper is a little bit loud. Mm-hmm. For the situation we were in, I didn't want loud toys. Right. And the rattan thing, I smacked you with, and you almost went through the ceiling. <laughs> so I need more practice with that particular piece. It doesn't look like it's but got But I the, liked it. it you did. <laughs> um, so, Dawn. Yes, sir? Do you have your tickets for Cope yet? Not yet, but the finger's on the button. <laughs> um, Cope registration starts June 4th at 12.05 a.m., Mm-hmm. That's five minutes after midnight. Yes. I always get that AM, PM thing, thing mixed up. Yes. And I am thinking that they're going to sell out in nine days this time. That's that's what Big I'm going to say, nine days. Okay. That's my guess this year. Okay. So, you if, know, I can probably agree with that. If any podcast, well, you and I will be there, of course. We'll yes. be running with uh, Alama Karen. We'll be doing the Scarlet, Scarlet Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And if any podcast listener um, would like to go, and it's your first AIS event, Make sure you write us. And yes. if you are a, um, well, I don't know if we're going to do the Power Exchange dinner. 
I don't know because we have the Scarlet Sanctuary. Right. So. Well, we will make sure that we have a cup of coffee with you and welcome you and introduce you to yes. everybody and introduce you to um, people that have been on the podcast mm-hmm. like Goddessy and Amber the Rope Slut <laughs> and um, Barak and Sheba, obviously, right. and everybody else, right? So <laughs> there you go. I did, by the way, on a complete side note with uh, going off the... Gee, I've gone off the script once again. Ooh. <laughs> um, I did write, or actually I called Molina Williams. Yes. And I apologized for suggesting that... Um, she perhaps was a ranting type person. <laughs> I heard you talking to her on the phone. I was wondering what that was about. <laughs> she clarified it was completely appropriate to suggest <laughs> that she likes the occasional good rant. Awesome. Awesome. So nice to know um, your uh, what you think is a compliment sometimes can be a compliment. Because <laughs> sometimes the mouth works faster than the... The brain. Uh, the brain, yes. All right. So enough of that. Um, so Dawn. Wow. Yes. What's it like to be clergy, mm-hmm. priestess? And, and you know, I, so I know a lot of people that say, oh, I'm pagan clergy. Oh, good right. for you. What's that mean? Oh, I did this uh, hand fasting for my friends. Right. I did a wedding, perhaps, for some people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. And that's a wonderful thing, right? Right. I don't mean to dis- discredit it. Discredit that or disparage it, but... Um, you, when we say that you are a clergy, mm-hmm. um, tell me, all right, qualify yourself, young lady. Qualify myself. Have you done any weddings? I have done oodles and oodles and oodles of weddings over the last seven years. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have done... And we're talking legally... We're talking legal, legal weddings. I am legal in Ohio, though, um, of course, the commitment ceremonies and the poly ceremonies, none of that's legal, but, mm-hmm. you know, still, I've done a lot of those as well. But um, it started back, um, we, you and I were already together. You and I were already in a power exchange relationship. We had gotten married and had found that there was no one in this area that we could find that would do a wedding that, and they were not attached to a church mm-hmm. or a justice of the peace. And, and I would like to have had a really neat, different style of wedding and just, just couldn't find anybody back then to do it. So you and I got married in Vegas. And then came back home, and I decided at that point that I would really like to be clergy and provide that service to people that live in alternative lifestyles. And that led you into studying, taking the test. And you actually, you didn't just go on the internet to Church of Life or whatever it is. Right, right, the Universal Life Church, which I know people that have done that, and, you know, and... and They're not good or bad. It's good, yeah, it's there for them, but for me, I wanted to be clergy, and I wanted to hold the title, and I wanted to do everything that someone that is labeled as clergy is expected to do. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have the skill of different paths. I wanted to have the skill of counseling and mentoring and spiritual ideas. And I wanted to be able to do weddings and baby blessings and house cleansings. And I've even done a funeral. Yes. And you've, you've done all those things. I've you've done, done all of those things. Yes. Dozens of weddings at least. Absolutely. You've done normal weddings. Mm-hmm. I've done traditional, traditional weddings. Traditional weddings. Trans weddings. Poly. Uh, same sex weddings. The whole yeah. spiel. Yes. Baby blessings. Baby namings. Um, Michelle Bellinger, who's going to be our, our guest speaker mm-hmm. in a little bit, mm-hmm. she's come down to help me um, uh, de-haunt some houses. And, you know, and, and people have called me in as their clergy mm-hmm. to do that. So there's a really interesting thing. So with you being my slave, yes, sir. we practice complete transparency. Yes. You have to tell me everything. Yes. 
But but you get to say this thing you say. I do. If someone comes to me, when everybody is well aware that we have a transparent relationship, which means anything that is told to me, I need to be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I tell people that up front that are getting ready to confide in me, you know, this may get to master because that's the type of relationship that we have. I don't keep secrets and I don't want that energy of keeping secrets. Mm-hmm. Right. right. But right. once I became clergy, I also realized that people needed to talk to their clergy in confidence, that that had to be taken out of our MS dynamic. So you and I talked about it. And what we came up with was this phrase called clergy lock. Mm-hmm. So if someone is starting to tell me something in confidence, you know, I'll ask them, do you want this in clergy lock? Which means it goes nowhere else. Right. Because they're aware it could go to you. And I have had people take me up on that, that it's clergy locked, which means it goes no further. Now, for our relationship, that's not really a big deal. You know, when when we're having a conversation and you, oh, you had lunch with... um, Joey Jojo, how'd it go? Right. Fine. Is he having, is he still having problems? Well, clergy lock. And, and right. we don't and that's fine. I don't need to know every detail. And it's I very much respect your role mm-hmm. as uh, both clergy and slave. Now, do you find the idea of being a clergy and it's very much a leadership position, right? Very it's much. very much a um, expected to be a powerful leader sort of role. Absolutely. And your role as slave to be a conflict at all? Um, no, it's not in conflict with my slave heart at all. The only time it comes into conflict is when um, you're helping me out at a wedding or something, and um, you call my name, and I want to say, yes, sir. Right. You know, or when you want to guide something at a wedding, mm-hmm. and then you, you have to take a breath because you know that's my responsibility right. to guide it at the wedding. So sometimes the, the little roles like that kind of, you know, we have to we have to look at it and, and adjust. But um, being a priestess with my spirituality, I'm very goddess based, very earth based, very compassion based, very, you know, things like that, very love based. And um, but one of the things that I had to learn to be a slave and to be a priestess was to surrender. Mm-hmm. So even though I am in charge of a spiritual group and I'm in charge of rituals and I run this and I guide people here and, and all that type of stuff, I still had to learn how to surrender to the guidance of the universe mm-hmm. and the guidance of the goddess. You know, I'm only in so much control and, and that so much is very little <laughs> when it comes to the lessons of the universe and, you know, of the goddess and of the spiritual path that I walk. Okay. I had to learn to give up control and surrender, you know, and breathe through situations. And I had to learn how to do that as a slave as well. So to me, they actually work hand in hand. I can be a very, very powerful priestess. Mm-hmm. And everything I do as a priestess is a reflection upon you. And so to me, it ends up working hand in hand. The really interesting aspect, and and you've done, we've done weddings together. Yes. Where you and I have both officiated. Yes. And again, I take a back seat to those. You lead them. You are the professional. That is your calling and your job. It can still be a little hard in that situation. I mean, if it is someone that's come to me as a pagan priestess, but they want the whole um, balance of male, female, Mm -hmm. which is what happens. They want a priest and a priestess, which is very, very um, not unusual in a pagan path. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but we've also had a couple come to us from the lifestyle, uh, Barak and Sheba. And we did their wedding. And I am the one that is uh, licensed, legally licensed, though we are both priest. We are both clergy. Mm -hmm. You know, I just do it more on the licensed part. So, um, yeah, so I had to be in the forefront with that as well. And that was that was very different. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And we've done the same with other people. Yes. and I'm going to go through a list. Oh, and, uh, just, you just thought of someone else. Yeah, I just thought of someone else. <laughs> and, and we've done it with people that have not, you know, we don't have a personal association yes. with as well. But either way, you end up being in charge of those, and I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. The, the important thing from being, from the national slave relationship aspect is that I know when to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that your growth has been, uh, it's been very instrumental to your growth as Absolutely. my slave. For you to push forward on becoming clergy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no conflict for me. You becoming more powerful does not make you a weaker slave. No. It has the opposite effect. Opposite effect. The more powerful you are as a human, the more powerful your decision to submit is, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Well, absolutely. I totally agree with that. So I just... Do you ever have moments where in your, you know, meditation or prayer or ritual that you question the validity of being both a pagan or clergy Mm -hmm. and a slave? No. Just no conflict at all? Right now, there is no conflict at all. Um, I'm trying to think back at the beginning, and that's what just popped into my head if you saw a light bulb go off. You know, back at the beginning, um, I did the wedding for Rafe. Oh, right. And Didi. Right. And Didi. And this was way back at the beginning. And Rafe was uh, in L.A. international president at the time. So this is in front of all of our, you know, it was a fetish wedding. It was a leather wedding. And uh, this was back when you and I were practicing the very high protocol year. Mm-hmm. So everybody was very used to me always kneeling at your feet oh, and yeah, always being was. a step behind you. So, um, you know, and. I always had my collar on. Uh, most of the time, I was wearing a leash. And um, when they found out, uh, well, Rafe and Didi went to talk to me and took us out to dinner, mm-hmm. and they were asking you all the questions, right? And then you spoke up and said, you know what? Dawn is the clergy. Speak to Dawn. Right. So, you know, so they had to make that shift. And then some of our friends were like, Dawn's not going to be able to do it. You know, she's so shy. She's so quiet, you know. And I got the whole, hmm, they haven't seen me as clergy. Right, right. And I was able to step into that and step into it with power. And um, to me, I don't think I've had any questions or any doubts since then. No, and I don't think that you've got... um you know, I think people listening to the podcast now will say, what do you mean she's quiet and reserved? <laughs> um, but you certainly have been more quiet and reserved in the past. Absolutely. Especially when we're more focused on a higher protocol, specific protocol yeah. sort of things where you don't speak until you're introduced. Right. And, and that is mainly because my focus is on you. Right. You know, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's just that my focus is on you and very hyper aware of that situation. So, but, um, but I've had a lot of fun with this. And Mm -hmm. like I said, very much from day one knew this was a reflection on you. So it's actually, um, I I was passionate about it as well. So it's very much melded together. Mm -hmm. So if somebody has, um, has a a pagan spiritual path and they identify mm -hmm. as a submissive or a slave or whatever lowercase in a power exchange relationships. Right. And they're having conflict. What would you recommend? Oh, 
So if they're on a pagan path, mm-hmm. and just em- yeah, embrace it. Learn about the the surrender peace part of it. Surrendering, surrendering to your spiritual path, surrendering to whatever you consider to be the universal leader of your path, I mm-hmm. guess, whether it's mother earth or, you know, whatever else is there and, uh, using that as well with your surrendering in your power exchange relationship and realizing that being following your tradition. I'm not exactly sure how to word it, but, um, taking care of yourself in your spirituality and following your tradition, um, is actually helps to make you a very powerful person. And therefore, um, like you said, when you do submit to your master, you're submitting as a whole person. Hmm. Makes sense. So, okay, cool. Well, now there's another part of the question that was sent in, and um, he's wondering how you can be a master and be a Buddhist. Because when you came into our relationship, you did not start out with being a Buddhist. You were actually a seeker and uh, very much looking for a path that made sense to you. So let's see. What does he have here? Oh, good gosh. See, as a Buddhist, I wouldn't say good gosh. Well, actually, <laughs> as a Buddhist, I'm allowed to say that. Say yeah, well, you are allowed to say that. So how did you end up, because uh, I remember it causing a little bit of conflict for you. So well, how did you end up balancing that? Or, or And it absolutely does find, uh, does include some conflict. Our, um, the tricky bit is, uh, now from the sexual, so let's start with sex. Luckily, yes. as a Buddhist, uh, sex is very easily covered. Mm-hmm. Um, there are not, a, there is no commandments in Buddhism. There is no thou shalt not. Right. There are some ideas that if you want to be happy, if you want to decrease your suffering, mm-hmm. which, you know, just decrease your general idea that, um, it's the understanding that there are things in life that are not pleasant. Right. People you know will die. People that uh, you know will be get sick. You'll lose your job. Things will happen that are not pleasant. Mm-hmm. So Buddhism is just about saying, yep, that's truth. Mm-hmm. And here's some things you can do to deal with that, to, to get past everything always having to be pleasant, as if your natural condition is that everything is always supposed to be happy. And whenever it rains... You know, you question the universe, right? Right. So Buddhism has no commandments. They have some ideas. Here are some things you should do to be happy. Mm-hmm. When Buddhism talks about sex, uh, it's very simple. Do not cause anyone else suffering because of your sex. Right. Don't cause other people harm because of what you enjoy in sex mm-hmm. or because of the way that you have sex. Now, it, it, as just like with Christianity... Certain sects of Buddhism are very are, take those simple words right. and turn them into something that suits their philosophy or their beliefs. Um, I'm sure that um, that Christian guy Jesus said something like "Do no harm" or something like that, and mm-hmm. people, you know, but a battlefield priest in the army can explain to you why it's okay to kill other people right. and still be okay in God's eyes. So different religions, you know, they'll they'll take the, the core message and they'll tweak it. Tweak it. Thank you. Good work. <laughs> Buddhism's no different. There are certain schools of Buddhism that tweak things in different ways. Yes. But the, the core, the message itself with sex is don't hurt people. So what that means specifically is I can't cheat on my spouse. Right. That harms my spouse 
and it harms the spouse's spouse mm-hmm. or the person. Uh, you know, if right. the other person's married, it harm, causes harm with them as well. Don't have sex without integrity, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean I can't be a swinger. Exactly. Swinger's fine as long as everybody is aware of what's going on. You're not doing anyone harm. You're being upfront with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have sex with people that cannot consent, right? That causes harm. Right. Don't. But but other than that, BDSM. Well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on. I know what's going on, and we're not causing. I'm not taking from you. Right. To give, you know, in a one-sided sort of a pain. Um, Manipulative situation, right? right? So that that was a very long, complicated version of, of yeah, the simple message of have any kind of sex you want, as long as it's ethical, as long as it doesn't involve lying to get your needs needs met. Mm-hmm. And makes perfect sense to me. I was kind of glad to hear that. <laughs> so though I know when you first found Buddhism that um, it, it felt like you had a little conflict with the BDSM part, the whole not causing harm. Right. right. And we figured out that there is a difference in hurting someone and causing, and causing them harm. harm. Right. When, right. I, when I smack you around with the canes <laughs> from the kink shop, it does hurt. Yes. You. Yes. <laughs> that hurt me a bit. But it does not cause you harm, right? right? And um, again, with BDSM, consent is a big mm-hmm. part of BDSM. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not leaving you, I'm not telling you I'm going to uh, give you a spanking and then whip you bloody, right? That would be causing you harm versus right. consensually hurting you. Yes. So the the sex part of Buddhism is simple, right? Mm-hmm. The, the more difficult part for me was the idea of um, labels. Yes. Uh, labels are very tricky in Buddhism because it's the, there's a realization that once you give yourself a label, you've given yourself a box. Mm-hmm. You know, if you call yourself a monk, then you have to act like a monk. Then you should be like a monk. And that right. limits, you know, that could be a border in a way, right? If mm-hmm. I meet a somebody who introduces themselves as Reverend Joe, right? You know, then I assume that they're going to act like a reverend, right? Mm-hmm. And Buddhism labels are very tricky because you know, in for that for that very reason. Um, so there, you know, with the label of master and slave, am I causing myself to limit my scope by giving myself? that label. So that was something I had to deal with. You had to deal with that. And he also has a um, question about, um, it seems like setting yourself above others would contradict the thoughts of Buddha nature and that all sentient beings have Buddha nature and the chance of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, how can you be a master when you're trying to walk the eightfold path? So, you know, how can, how can you, does, Calling yourself a master, so I guess this would be the question: Does calling yourself a master place you above people? And and we've talked about that before from a perspective of um, you know, is our master-slave couples equals? Are we right. equals to each other? Right. Or am I placing myself above you? Mm-hmm. And there's really an interesting dynamic to that. And it, for me, I don't believe that we're peers. Right. But I don't believe that I've placed myself above you either. I recognize that you have strengths and I have strengths. Mm-hmm. And if we pretend that we are equals, then we should have equal strengths. We should do everything equally. Right. right? And that is not the case. You are better at some things than I am. I am better at some things than you are. Mm-hmm. We have found our relationship works best when you um, take care of me and I take care of the relationship, so yes. to speak. Right. 
Um, so for me, there is no conflict with the Eightfold Path and putting and me being a master to a slave. Um, it is right. You know, it, the funny thing is, it gets very difficult to talk about. It gets very difficult to look into because mm-hmm. you know you, you look at the. And for me, this is I had to go through this, looking through the the uh, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the the other aspects of Buddhism that are very important and very core. And what it came down to for me was there's certain um, philosoph- there's a philosophy of right action mm-hmm. and right intent yes. and right speech. And, you know, right action, I, I think the most common way people understand it to think of right action is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that story about the guy who steals a loaf of bread to feed his family. Mm-hmm. Is it a sin to steal to feed your family, right? Well, it's illegal. Right. But is it a sin? Is it a bad thing, right? So when, and these answers aren't answered, these questions aren't answered in a book or externally. They are answered internally. Exactly. So for myself, I sit in meditation every day for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that meditation, I try and live my life via right speech and right action and right thought and compassion and humility. I can be all those things and still be a master. And as a matter of fact, they feed the behavior of the kind of master I want to be. There's absolutely no, no conflict from being compassionate and still punishing your slave. Right. Because there, that's right action. Mm-hmm. So, and it's right intent. And, um, you know, that's what I was going to, um, ask you was if you could expand upon the, uh, the, uh, eightfold path. I mean, that's the, that is the right action and the right speech right. and the right intent and the right livelihood and the right, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, how could that not benefit you as a master? And even the enlightening question, I mean, all of this stuff is helping you become an enlightened person. And then you helping me be a slave helps me become an enlightened person mm-hmm. because that's my path. Yeah. Hope, and hopefully it does help you. I hope so. Yes. Um, and we actually sit together in meditation for th- every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if your pagany meditation is the <laughs> same as my Buddhist meditation. It doesn't have to be. I'm mm-hmm. glad that you find it of value. Um, you know, it's the point of it is to allow your... And I know, you know, I'm going to use the word instinct because people understand that. Term, okay. But let your instinct be your guide. You know, that right, my right action does involve me being a master. It, it does involve me leading others in power exchange relationships. It, it does involve me sometimes through positive motivation or sometimes through correction and discipline, helping people find their own path. You know, um, the other ethical aspects of Buddhism, such as humility and compassion and right speech, assist me in being the kind of master that I want to be. And people that have served under my collar or have seen me in certain situations, no, I can be a very strict <laughs> disciplinary, uh, biggest asshat in the world. I don't know that I'm an asshat. I don't know that you're an asshat. But, but very strict, very much, very much yeah. a disciplinarian. Say, mm-hmm. I want it done this way. Any yes. other way is not good enough. Go do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where that stuff comes from. Does it come from my desire to be... Um, 
to have everybody look at me and say, oh, look at that great master there? Or does it come from a desire of me to simply know this is the way things need to be for our joint growth to go? Right. You know? Uh, one of the really neat things about being a master and being a Buddhist is you're always stopping and looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Mm-hmm. What is this? And this wonderful lesson, if you could look at the world, look at anything you want and say, who is this? What is, what is this? Who am I? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful to be able to stop and look at things and do that and say, okay. And that's okay. I don't have all the answers. Yes. When I lead you as a, as a master, it's very instinctive and it's very intrinsic in who I am. It's my authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have to think too much about, am I doing it the right way or the correct way? It is the way, you know? Um, but it's, it's just, it's when you get into more of the philosophy of it and the looking into the specifics of it and saying, you know, is it um, a proper Buddhism for me to control another person's life? Through MS, mm-hmm. you know, and then you really have to dig on that and say, you wow, do. you know, Buddhist philosophy, you don't control other people's lives. And, and then the MS philosophy, you, once you get in, at first you think, well, I'm in control of my slave. And you realize you're not in control of anything. Right. right. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. Um, and it is very, well, I had somebody recently ask me, is there a conflict? And I said, well, yeah, it's, it, it's difficult to explain via just like I, I wouldn't be able to write this down and have right, it make sense, right. you know. The other aspect that I, I don't want to touch on is uh, and just because it's a fun one to talk about. People always say, "But what about desire?" You know, as a mm-hmm. Buddhist, you're not supposed to have any desires, right? No lust, no desire, no lust, no attachment, no attachments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's simply not true. Mm-hmm. It's a simply it's a misunderstanding of what Buddhism is. Uh, and I was just we were, we were watching something earlier. We the, were it the, was the Dalai Lama, which mm-hmm. is a, one of the key figures in Buddhism was talking about how, of course, you have desires. We all have desires. It's the attachment to desires, which is what Buddhism is addressing. And again, Mm -hmm. this serves me as being a master. Um, And the way that, you know, I'll I'll try to explain that is it's it's about if I want, um, if I go to a party and it's a wonderful party, than to say, ah, oh, man, I'm glad I went to this party. I'm having a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. And it, and the trick gets into the attachment to before the party going, you know, being attached to the going to the party in the future. Right. Or after the party's over, being attached to, oh, well, what a great party that was, you know. Um, you know, when I meet a beautiful woman, I'm allowed to desire her. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm allowed to want to, ooh, I'd love to get into your, your pants. <laughs> um my ethical code allows me to go up to you and say, oh, I'd love to get into your pants. Right. The desire is is not something that we as human beings are going to escape, nor should we want to. Mm-hmm. There's no need to escape desire. It's what makes us who we are. The tricky bit is to understand that after she says no mm-hmm. and leaves, that that's okay too. Right. The desire, you know, not to be living in that desire after the fact, not to think, oh, if I only said this, oh, boy, right, right. what a great time you would have had. Oh, I feel rejected. Oh, you know, it's that attachment to something, that attachment to the desire to want to keep things the way they are. A big, now I'm really rambling and rambling, but a big part of Buddhism is the idea of um, that 
nothing's going to stick around forever. Right. So don't be attached to it. Right. I don't, whether we're talking about our, um, our, my MacBook here Mm -hmm. or this table or this microphone or my nice, pretty iPad, Mm -hmm. you know, come back in a hundred years and all these things will be dust. Right. Maybe not the iPad. I mean, maybe not the iPad. Apple products here. This is going to last forever. But again, you know, nothing, the the idea of being attached to, oh, I love, I know. The iPad's a wonderful example of that. I'm holding my iPad in my hand. I'm very much, oh, I like my iPad. It's a very right. nice little thing, and I like liking it. And I'm going to go download, which really is really funny. If you go to the <laughs> App Store and you download Buddhist stuff, there's a whole material aspect of that that's really kind of silly. But if I lose it, if I, you know, if I have to sell it, to not be attached to, oh, I remember the good old days when I had an right. iPad. Right. So it's very much about being in the present moment. And that is part of, that is one of the biggest things I've taken from Buddhism into my, my slavehood as Mm -hmm. well that I've learned from it is to be in the present moment. And that is how I can, um, or we can talk, that's how I can let go of punishment. It is a, is a, it's a Buddhist philosophy that allows me to let go of punishment Mm -hmm. instead of being the, 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 the person that I used to be that would hold on and beat myself up with it. You know, staying in the present moment, been punished, let it go move on. Holding on to it is suffering and suffering is what we're trying to release. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, that's the Buddhist philosophy. So, uh, I've picked up a lot of Buddhist stuff. I hope you picked up as much uh, pagan stuff when you were uh, over in my realm <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> over on your side of the street. <laughs> on my side of the street. And there are still <laughs> some wonderful uh, lessons that I've learned from paganism as well. Um, so that's that. Um, and I've always wanted to do a, a uh, a religion show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to have a Christian on the podcast. And I would love to have a Jew and mm-hmm. um, the other, you know, religions and, and talk about what it is like, you know, because I have no clue how, um, how Christians deal with it because they do have pretty clear. Thou I think, shalt not. Yeah. yeah I, I think that I don't, I can't think of any, and I'm sure they're out there, but I have Christian friends in the BDSM realm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of them could, you know, could say, well, actually in the Bible it says it's okay to have right. anal sex while you're being pierced with needles. So right. it, it, it's so, Jesus was okay with that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, maybe. Um, but it, it would be nice to talk to different people and yeah. especially ones, um, we usually get asked questions from people that want to know how we can have two different religions in the same household in a power exchange relationship. So, but ours is pagan slash what am I? I'm, I'm Wiccan. I'm a shamanistic Wiccan, uh, Kaddishti, something, something, you know. And um, you're a Buddhist. So we don't have a lot of conflict. There, for us, and, and I remember one of our, uh, some friends from Lancaster asked mm-hmm. us, they had this conflict. Because one of them is a Christian and one of them is, is pagan. pagan. Mm-hmm. All I can say for us is there is no conflict because our religion is not part. This is the one thing. It's not outside the boundaries, but it's not part of our power exchange relationship. In the right. fact that I will never tell you how to be a pagan or you, that you cannot be a pagan. Right. Or what is the, I, will, I will be able to speak up if you have a particular ritual that I do not think is um, healthy maybe healthy okay. as a slave. Right. I, I would speak up about that. Mm-hmm. But if, if you have unhealthy rituals in your religion... Right. Um, that would be, well, you know what? <sighs> Unhealthy is a tricky word there. It, it is. 
Because it may be very healthy for your growth as a human, but maybe not so great for your growth as a slave. But in that case, I would let you do the ritual. Your growth yeah. as a human being with a religious path is not something I want to be in charge of because I am not your God. Right. And there's a problem that people run into in master-slave or DS relationships yeah. where the slave will give power over to their, the master. their master from a perspective of, of a of – a, it's a very difficult language here. But, you know, we talk about a power greater than ourselves or a higher power mm-hmm. and to not let your – power exchange partner be that person right you know right we can all be vessels mm-hmm. but not specifically that person like you you sir have been a vessel for my higher power mm-hmm. but you are not my higher power right you know so right. there is a difference it's very hard to put into words that, no that's a great way okay. to put it right there i think so and you know and even when um my growth as a person and we've gone totally off topic here but i feel like this is important um, even in my healing journey, we've had to make some decisions. You need to do this for your healing. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of a somatic counselor mm-hmm. specifically. Sure, sure. You know, you need to do this for your healing as a person. It may come into conflict with how you behave as my slave. Right. We knew that me doing this, uh, this certain type of therapy that we really thought was going to be beneficial for my healing may tweak me in such a way that I would not be able to serve Mm -hmm. after that. But my healing was so important. We had to take that chance. Yeah, absolutely. And And it works both ways. Mm -hmm. It works both ways. I go off on my little Buddhist retreats that I I tell you, you're not allowed to go on. And I tell you that as your partner, not as your master, because I need that space to myself. Right. Um, I went on one by myself just so I could see what you get out of it. You did. That was very enlightening. But I know that I, 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 assume that you always harbor this little doubt that when I come back, I'll be changed mm. and I want to go off to, I, I know <laughs> monk land, monk land, right? <laughs> there's, there's actually a particular school in India, a particular branch of Buddhism where I actually have, um, uh, received refuge through mm-hmm. where they have a, a three year program in India. If you would like to become a monk and run your own church, you know, right. here's where you start. Um, I know that because I looked into it, right? right? And um, well, we were on international stage, running for title, and they asked you if you were not a master, what would you like to do? Mm-hmm. And you said, "Well, this may surprise my slave, but I'd become a monk." Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a surprise to me. Yeah. I know you've been looking. I know, yeah. Um, as it is right now, my religious or spiritual feeding happens within this mm-hmm. household. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really not on my on my agenda. It's not right. on my radar right now. But part of our growth as religion and mm-hmm. spiritual people is the idea that that may become a, in conflict with our master-slave relationship. And if that happens, that will be the one space where I say, so and in your language, so mode it be. Mm-hmm. Right? right? And where I am okay letting our master-slave and pff, nothing else more. I tell you, after we did the intensive yesterday, I realized just how powerful our master-slave relationship is. But if that's yes. where the, if that was the item that caused conflict, then I would put the religion first. Mm-hmm. I'd say go find that, yes. you know, and and then decide if you want to come back. You know, hopefully that's not going to happen. No, hopefully, knock on wood. 
<laughs> I don't know. That's one of your pagan That's things. That's one of my I'll, pagan things. Knock I'll rub Buddha's belly and you knock on wood. <laughs> so that's that. Yeah, if and you, yeah, and if, but if you, anybody else has any more questions about it, I feel like uh, we may have left some stuff unsaid. Oh, I'm sure. Or we have generated some... more questions within people. So you know, again, any questions? We are an open book, and it actually helps us. Um, answering these questions actually helps us delve into our psyche as well and learn and grow. Yep. And you even offer, uh, private one-on-one counseling in this realm as well. I do actually. And that's coming up again in a couple of days on, um, creativesexuality.org. I I do online coaching now, so, so, um, I will be available. And that's that. Mm -hmm. If you... Think it's more fun to listen to <laughs> my Australian accent than it is to hear deep philosophical religion questions. Then head over to iTunes and rate us, yes. or hit our Facebook page and lick us, or go to Twitter and twat us. <laughs> twat us. <laughs> so I love it. So here we are, fifty-two minutes into the podcast, and we're not done because not you done. did a three a.m. interview with Michelle Belanger. I did. I did a, um, a whew, early morning interview, and of course, Michelle is a vampire, so that is her afternoon. So <laughs> for me, I stayed up just so I might have a chance. You know, her and I had talked, and uh, she said that. She may be available. And this is a house, Keparu, and um, that is her house. That There's a bunch of wonderful members there. And what they do is they teach energy basics. So they talk psychic vampire, which a lot of us pagans, oh, my God, that's the first thing we're taught to protect against <laughs> is the psychic vampires that may drain us of our energy. Huh? Mm-hmm. But um, Michelle is very much about um, uh, doing all of this stuff ethically. You know, they have a... Um, uh, uh, it's very hard to explain. And you know what? I did the interview at 3 a.m., so I'm not exactly sure she does explain about it. But um, some of you may know her from her book, Psychic Vampire Codex, mm-hmm. Psychic Energy Codex. Um, she is also on Paranormal State. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's helped me de-spook a couple of houses. So it's just a wonderful all-around person. And um, the first workshop I ever saw her do was called Sado Shamanism. So I just wanted to talk to her a little bit about it and see if she could explain some of the energy work that she uses in BDSM. Um, yeah, and we could go on talking about the, the neat things that Michelle's done, mm-hmm. the different uh, university appearances and all that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. But um, uh, it's really neat that this um, the interview at 3 a.m., and you'll hear in the background there's a lot of people there's still lot of people up and talking, talking, yes, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um and a little side note, and I, you know what? I have to admit, I've completely forgotten about this. I don't know if it still exists even, but long before you and I were little podcasters, do you right. remember we used to listen to the Shadow Dance podcast? Oh, that's right. Michelle used to have her own her own podcast, Shadow Dance. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And um, and you know what else is? We're mentioned in one of her books, at least one of her books. I got oh, at to, least uh, one. Yeah, her and um, a friend of mine from the spiritual group. Let's see, me and the friend and some of us from the circle got to edit one of her books. So we are mentioned in that. And uh, it's just awesome. All kinds of good stuff. So let's Mm -hmm. go ahead and listen to that interview with uh, Michelle. And hopefully I'm not snoring during it. So (laughs) you're not. (laughs) 
So tonight I am sitting here. We are at um, the House Keferu Open House in Cleveland and having a great time. So sitting here with Michelle Belanche, um, author of the Psychic Energy, the Psychic Vampire Codex, and the Energy and the Psychic Energy Codex, among a lot of other books. Uh, well known on paranormal state, so and things like that. And uh, Michelle, do you remember how we met each other? I do remember. We were at the Ohio Leather Fest. Yes. Years and years ago, actually. Almost maybe ten years ago. Almost, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I seem to recall you were a somewhat reluctant uh, person in the audience. Who was like, <laughs> I don't know about this vampire thing. And exactly, because <laughs> you introduced yourself as a psychic vampire, and I was just getting into all my energy work, and I kind of like put up my bricks, and then uh, uh, Master Dan pushed me up front and made me be a demo and try it out, and I was like, Oh, okay, that's what all this stuff is about. Nice, I get. It. <laughs> and back then, I mean, with, with paganism and energy workers and everything, psychic vampire was very much a, a, a dirty word, a bad word. There were people that you had to learn how to protect yourself against. Exactly. It wasn't a word that anybody had tried to own, really. Right, and it was actually, as a Wiccan, it was the first thing, the first lesson I was taught was how to protect myself from a psychic vampire. So that word automatically had the, well, the walls going up. Anybody who's unethical in anything that they're doing is somebody who is worthy of protecting yourself against, mm -hmm. and certainly someone who has this capacity, or who has learned it to take energy from others, or to do anything invasive energetically to mm -hmm. someone without their permission or consent, that is something that should not be done. It's 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 bad juju. Exactly. Uh, you know, bad bad vampire. No no biscuit. No biscuit. <laughs> so and the class was Sado shamanism, I believe. I, I know I presented Sado shamanism there, but I think that that particular class was uh, like like vampires one on one or something. There there were two that Could they let been. me do. Yeah yeah. yeah. But Sado shamanism, I debuted that year too. Uh, which, I mean, is not by any stretch a unique idea. Uh, it's in many ways just kind of re reframing mm -hmm. what a lot of people do in some scenes and uh, presenting in... Uh, a different light, the anthropological concept of shamanism right. uh, across cultures, and looking at it from a kinkster's perspective, when in shamanism, in traditional shaman, and you, usually it is a tradition that is connected to, I want to, I'm going to say lesser developed uh, countries or lesser developed uh, societies, although that is somewhat misleading. That uh, could imply that, you know, industrial society is uh, superior or whatever. Right. But it is a quote unquote primitive technique. It usually exists side by side with a more structured religious system. So in a village you may have a priest and a priestly system, but you will also have a shaman. Uh, and the shaman, the medicine man, uh, the spirit talker, his role is to be the person who is kind of outside of the bounds of what is normal, and he can move in and out of normative society and normative behavior. He gets a lot of free passes for uh, transgressive behavior. Okay. And that is because the shaman is a walker between. The shaman, male or female, mm -hmm. is someone who serves as a mediator between the living and the dead, 
between the spirit world and the fleshly world and also deals with disease of the mind and the body and the spirit. The shaman does so through trance. Mm -hmm. Um, Either he or she, the shaman, him or herself, goes through a trance where they journey to uh, another realm. And it may be an interior, imaginative world, or it may be seen as a literal, external, other dream world uh, that only under certain states of consciousness can we access. The shaman is is called to do this, is trained to do it, and has a strong connection to this, this other state, wherein there are revelatory experiences that the shaman brings back to help cure someone. Mm-hmm. One of the key things with that is something called soul retrieval. Uh, the idea in shamanism is that sometimes illness is caused by giving up pieces of yourself mm-hmm. and, and losing touch with that little fragment of yourself. It, it's seen in almost literal terms that you know when the shaman journeys or takes the subject along on the journey with them, they go to this other place and find that piece of self represented, in, usually in a symbolic sense. It may present itself as an animal or a gem, uh, a plant, or, or just another sliver of self, another, uh, another fra- fragment of that person. So it may present as that person as they were as a child when this point of trauma occurred. Right. So there's a lot of psychology in shamanism and a lot of healing, not necessarily of strictly physical ailments, but the ailments of the heart, the ailments of the mind, the ailments that make us soul sick. The mode of operation for the shaman is extremes. Right. To push the self, either the shaman who's journeying or the person they are working with, to push them past ordinary boundaries of consciousness. Fasting, repetitive dancing, mm-hmm. uh, repetitive drumming to evoke a trance state, and it is about altered states of consciousness. Uh, certain shamanic systems make use of entheogens, mm-hmm. uh, hallucinogenic drugs, uh, usually natural plants. Uh, Oyahuska, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, is something that's used in the Amazon River Basin in uh, South American shamanism. But again, it is something that is intended to push the body, because these, these are all toxins to one extent or another, right. push the body past its normal boundaries so that the mind is then freed. Barriers that we maintain psychologically uh, to protect ourselves from these other states, to kind mm-hmm. of focus our consciousness, to kind of like a one-pointed thing, um, to allow us to deal with the daily world, to block out our awareness of spirit and, and everything else, to break that down and then jettison the person into this uh, initiatory state, this transformative uh, dream state, which again can be viewed as either an external journey to a right. spirit realm or an internal journey through imaginative worlds that are no less real in their significance and their mm-hmm. symbolism. Right. Now, what I hear you saying as well, being a kinkster, is stuff that I do with endorphins and everything on the cross. Exactly. <laughs> or and, the bench. Or the, the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're talking altered states of consciousness, yes. pushing the body, using sensation and repetitive sensation and rhythm in that mm-hmm. repetitive sensation, and sometimes pain and maybe pleasure, but the idea is the sen- the very sensation and pushing and pushing and pushing until right. you 
break through to something which in the kink community we may call subspace. Mm-hmm. And or, what, or breaking through the wall. Yeah, breaking through the wall. Do this it can be dumb I it can be dom space. Right. Yeah. Or dom space, absolutely. Uh, something that initiates a cathartic experience. Cathartic, that's the word I meant. And what I did when I first uh, debuted the class on Seido Shamanism was to simply reframe activities that all of us have been in a scene mm-hmm. uh, where uh, if you're bottoming, you find yourself pushed to a point and you suddenly, just through the sensation alone, through the experience alone, you've dropped into subspace and there's there's something that just blossoms, that opens yes, up. Absolutely. Uh, you lose much sensation of the room around you. Mm-hmm. You are in an interior realm. It may present itself as a visionary experience. Mm-hmm. It may present itself as kinesthesia, but suddenly something inside of you represents itself in a different light or unfolds in a way that you hadn't expected or hadn't perceived it as before. And sometimes it is a little knot of trauma that you'd been carrying around. It can be anxiety. It can be positive stuff too. But it's suddenly this this discovery. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have had that discovery if you hadn't been pushed to that point where you had no choice but to experience it. No choice but to look. Mm-hmm. Um, as a dom, I've, I'd seen people start to go through this, and I'd recognized, because um, when I far- first started doing a lot, when I started playing, God, back in the 90s, right. uh, was a lot of impact play. Yes. And I would really get into the rhythm. I loved beating people to like heavy metal music, Rammstein, and you know just, just stuff that has a really good, heavy, thick beat, and just get into the music with it, techno, whatever, mm-hmm. and use the body as a drum. Yes. Uh, sometimes with uh, floggers and toys, or like if I really got primal about it, it, was just get up on the person and pound on them with my hands, my fists, and just make it this dance of flesh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to growl. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something so organic and, yes. and so very personal about that, but being aware with um, part of one of my theses in college had been on shamanism mm-hmm. and shamanism as a mystical experience and shamanism in context of Jungian psychology. And I'm seeing people go through these stages that I'd studied for shamanic experience right. and make these cathartic uh, experiences and basically do soul retrieval in, in several cases. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the aftercare would be a little bit more involved because you know, you've got someone who now has this outpouring of emotion and they can't always name it at first right. and the aftercare is almost bringing them back down from the journey, getting them to come back down to their flesh and then get to a point where they are uh, no longer uh, nonverbal but can actually verbalize what the experience was and then own it, mm-hmm. really claim it. And I realized somewhere at uh, the Organ Grinders Ball, actually, it was, uh, it was one of the ones that was at uh, Euphoria. Okay. And actually, I think it was like 1996 or so. Okay. I was talking about it with some of the, the Ohio Smart members because I almost joined Ohio Smart then. Oh, <laughs> see, and that's like a couple of years before my time. Yeah. Just a couple. And there had been this modern primitive there the year mm-hmm. before. I, if I if I have my timing correct, the, like the year before, he'd done like this live branding on stage. And mm-hmm. he had all of these amazing marks on his back, like just big, 
tribal things. And, and at that point, like his, his flesh was just something, uh, a foreign territory that you could just explore. Just, I, I just ran my fingers up and down. And he had all these bumps and ridges. Right. And he had done enough shamanic work of his own that our dance became kind of this primal journey to his totem animal. Nice. So by the end of it, I mean, you know, I'd abandoned the floggers. I, I'd thrown away any of the impact play toys, and I'm just up on him, and he is snarling and growling and being jaguar underneath yeah. me. <laughs> and it was, it was like, wow, this is this is shamanism. I mean, some yeah. people are like, I don't know why you go to those sex clubs. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's way more going on there Absolutely. than just sex. Yes. It is not to devalue at all sexual mm-hmm. experience or sex, sexual exploration because there is rhythms that you can achieve with a sexual interaction. You can make that just as magical and shamanic mm-hmm. if that is your intent. Uh, but way more than, oh, we're just doing the nasty here. Right. Way more. Um, and that That's was, why I make a bad swinger. It's not just about doing the nasty. Yeah, I, I, I need to connect. <laughs> it's it's actually something, now that we have the language, now that more people have been having this dialogue in the community, <laughs> 10 years ago when I tried to talk about this stuff, like, you remember, I don't yeah. know. I was, I was really, like, making a lot of excuses for a lot of the mm-hmm. ideas I put forth. I was really hesitant because I was pretty used to getting slapped down and told that I was kind of weird. And, and just like, you know, oh, that, that woo-woo stuff that you're talking right. about. Nobody wants it. <laughs> And what, what do you mean, this energy stuff? And, you know, a decade later, how many people are familiar with Reiki? Right. Qigong, you know, they've been doing their yoga. They have yeah. energy, and energy work have become a part of our language. In the BDSM community, we had had the language of power exchange. Mm-hmm. And not every power exchange is wholly energy exchange, but many exchanges, uh, especially when you get in a scene and you drop to that point where you're nonverbal and you are connected and you are still communicating and you can feel what the other person is feeling and that guides you to what you need to do next or where you need to uh, have the Dom lead you. Right. That is a, a magical state. That's an altered state where an energetic exchange is, if not all of what's going on, at least part of what's guiding and helping to elaborate it. And for me, if there's not that aspect, I mean, all of my play is magic, is ritual, mm-hmm. um, is sometimes as simple as, as worship of the, the God in another person. You know, namaste, the God in me, recognizes the God in you, and the celebration of spirit in flesh. And, and touching that spirit through the flesh. I, I I don't like Western traditional Western dualism where spirit is good, flesh is bad. Why would anything in spirit come down to flesh? Because flesh is flawed and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, spirit can't enjoy a rose. Right. The feel of the petals or the prick of the thorns. There is just as much revelation in flesh as there is in spirit, and the unification of the two of them, the celebration of the two of them, is some of the most holy sacrament we can enjoy and indulge in. I mean, we wouldn't be alive if we didn't have something to get out of, you know, the this, this skin we wear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the past ten years has been a journey of enlarging upon, elaborating, and finding the language. Right. 
and, and sharing that language, finding other people in the leather scene and in the BDSM scene who were doing the same work. Raven Caldera, Lee Harrington, oh, yes. oh, yeah. um, all, Shamans All. <laughs> yeah. uh, all of us have, have different paths and different powers, although it is very traditionally shamanic in the fact that all three of us, myself, Lee, and Raven, are people who stand on a gender continuum, mm -hmm. who are people who have transitioned or moved back and forth or are genderqueer. It was not uncommon in traditional shamanic societies, a part of the shaman's initiation, as a between being, as somebody who walked both sides, oh, yeah. to go through a transformative gender journey as well. That would make sense. So that they could speak to both sides of that. In some, some cases, the shaman if he was birth male, uh, as he went through a shamanic initiation, a little a literal death and rebirth, he'd be reborn and then live as a woman. Mm -hmm. And there were there were woman shamans also, and you didn't fit anymore in a binary society. You were someone who had kind of transcended that. Uh, and in dying and coming back, uh, sometimes literally with the, I mean, we're talking very intense initiatory experiences that are very demanding to the body to push them past that, all of those barriers in, in the mind and to, to literally break them down and rebuild them. Mm -hmm. the, the most common shamanic journey for a shamanic initiation is the person is dragged down into the underworld and all of the spirits of disease come and they kill him. Mm -hmm. or her, and they, they tear the flesh from the shaman's bones, and they cook it up, and they all eat it, and then they reconstitute the skeleton, and they put him back together, or her back together, and, and redefine this, this person's body, and every spirit of disease that had partaken of the flesh is one that the shaman comes back and has power over because of that communion, but it is the the boiling down, literally, and, and the point of consciousness is there through the entire thing, upgiving, surrendering to the experience, observing it, realizing I am not that, mm -hmm. I'm still here, and through absolute surrender of self, I have come back as my most empowered self. And I, I, I see the look on your face, that's, that's a lesson so many people learn yeah. in the scene. I find that in our society as it stands now, there is almost no space that is a safe space that encourages, allows, and accepts that kind of behavior outside of kink space. I haven't found it. So, and that's why there's so many of us in that environment. So, I don't know. Well, doing something right. <laughs> seems like it. Seems like it. And it's kind of neat because I'm actually um, seeing a good crossover of uh, the kinksters that I know that are mm -hmm. here at um, the open house yeah. for House Kefru, which is more um, energy. I yeah. mean, all, all the workshops that I've been doing so far are energy-based. There's no kink-based workshops here yeah. at all. It's how to use energy. But we're going to take it back to the kink environment, you know? A, a lot of what I'd, I've been doing in speaking in the kink community and the energy community and the pagan community is kind of, it, is being a shaman in the fact that I am trying to build bridges or show people where those bridges are. Right. Because, okay, there's Reiki and there's certain things that you're supposed to do with Reiki and there's certain things that nobody ever talks about doing mm -hmm. with Reiki. Um, like, 
I, one of the things I was taught when I was getting my Reiki one is they're like, okay, as I'm going over your chakras, when I'm starting to stimulate your root chakra, you might, you might feel a little aroused, and I, I'm not trying to, and that might be invasive, and I apologize, and I'm like, hmm, energy, turning on your root chakra, I'm sure people could use this. Exactly. And why not? Exactly. If it is consensual, why not? Uh, you know, how is that yeah. a bad thing? And again, it's that, that Western dualism of, okay, here's the energy, and we're going to be all ethereal and up here, and totally try not to do anything that has anything to do with your flesh and your mm-hmm. blood. And yet, you are all of those things. Exactly. So I end up, uh, I was at a sacred sexuality event, and uh, people wanted to experience Reiki and stuff, but we're at a campground, and everybody's naked, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a sacred sexuality event, and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to say I'm using Reiki, I'm using Nike. <laughs> so, you know, if you get turned on, great. <laughs> they enjoyed the hell out of it. Actually, um... <laughs> One of my Reiki experiences, uh, and it, it wasn't exactly Reiki. Uh, I had I had a student of mine who was teaching classes up at uh, the University of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, not he, he had the space there after like regular school hours, and I'm not sure exactly to what extent he was uh, affiliated with the school. But anyway, he had his little energy work students up there, and I dropped in to kind of like you know see how he was progressing and see uh, students learn a great deal when they begin to teach. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's showing different forms. He was introducing them to Reiki and Qigong and a bunch of different traditions, and he had them doing uh, energy body readings, which is one of the things that's uh, fairly distinct, or at least a a core part of of my system, where you you go and you kind of like assess not just the chakras, but the different channels and how those interact with the physical body and how they interact with uh, the flow of energy Mm -hmm. impacts on on health and wellness and a bunch of stuff. And with the understanding that everybody has, uh, people aren't cookie cutters, you know, everybody has a different structure. So before you really interact with somebody's energy, you have to do a reading to kind of get a sense of where they stand, what how they're built, uh, what are places where they're different from what you might expect. Well, so he has me sit in and have some students work on me. And as some of the listeners probably know, I'm, I'm, I'm intersexed. And there is something energetically about that, which is to say, <laughs> while female-bodied in most appearances, energetically, I'm not. Right. So I have this poor... <laughs> college student going over me and and I knew exactly like because he's like down 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 my forehead and down my chest and being really careful not to make physical contact or anything he goes past my solar plexus and down past the navel chakra and then he kind of like stops and pulls his hands back for a second and I'm like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) and then he he kind of like checks around there again he's like and you, you see him starting to think about <laughs> how do I? He's like, <laughs> and he, he finally is like, I I I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass you, but did you ever have an operation or or or, or were you ever male? <laughs> yeah, why? I think I felt your cock. <laughs> yeah, you you, you kind of touched it there. It's it's all good. I'm not offended. <laughs> I. <laughs> Just move along. By the way, sometimes people's energy is shaped differently than their body. Yes. <laughs> Don't be shocked by this. I'm not the only one. Nice. You were packing, but you weren't showing. <laughs> he runs into it. Every once in a while, somebody who's energy sensitive enough can be like, 
Yeah. <laughs> Let me show you. That can be fun. It was neat that he picked up on that, though. How intuitive. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, yeah, poor, like, blushing to his hair. Oh, I bet. I like, bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the things they're not going to teach you in your standard energy workshop. <laughs> so energy, shamanism, kink, all that good stuff. And then you were telling me right before we started the interview that you've got a new idea in place that you're putting together. Well, in a lot of my classes, especially at kink events, uh, mm-hmm. I'm finding this sort of underlying theme of uh, what I can really only define as mindfulness. Yes. Uh, which... Uh, is a Buddhist concept mm-hmm. of being in the moment, being wholly aware, uh, engaging all of your senses and all of your attention to whatever it is that you're doing. Um, in, in a passive way, it, it's making every act, every moment, every thought sacred. Yes. Uh, imbuing it with consciousness and intent. When I'm talking about everything from knife play to biting to any of the sensual stuff that I do or, or using energy for eroticism, I find myself again and again pointing out that your best results are A, to do whatever it is you are doing with intent mm-hmm. and B, being fully engaged in that moment and with that piece of flesh, with that person, with that part of their body. Uh, and I, I'm tentatively calling it the, you know, the philosophy of the boudoir, which is totally ripped from the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> and, and so the, the reference is intended to be there for those who are familiar with like the literary history of it. But it's, it's this philosophical approach to sensuality and to interaction on that level uh, that hopefully makes it, shows people that it, how it is a sacred act. Absolutely. Um, and sacred doesn't have to mean godlike or involved mm-hmm. with religion. Sacred is that focus and that pure intent and simply doing it with your whole being. Absolutely. So, good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Michelle Bellinger, so how can we get up with you if anybody's got questions or if we want to find your books? Well, I have a website. It's my first and last name dot com. Uh, and since it's French and kind of a tongue twister, uh, <laughs> uh, Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, right. uh, Bellinger, B as in boy, E-L-A-N-G-E-R dot com. Uh, although I think at this point, if you Google Michelle and Vampire, I'm probably like the first More than likely, or so. yeah. And we'll have it on the show um, notes, too. You, you can <laughs> plug in my, my first and last name to Amazon, and you'll get four pages of books. I write a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking a little break right now. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I, I, I have not written as many books for the kink community as I would like to. Lee Harrington and I are talking about uh, a work that will actually dovetail to that whole, like, energy body versus physical body thing nice. and, and sort of shape shifting with it and the way it can sometimes be shaped differently and how you can sometimes discover that in scenes or use that for interactions in scenes Nice. Um, and it, it's a, a stranger territory for some people but I think mm-hmm. at this point it, it can get there, we can have that conversation and uh, open a dialogue about it um, but anyway so my website. Uh, I'm on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, I'll be honest, I respond most to my Twitter. Okay. Uh, because it's kind of cheap and easy. Like, <laughs> all it takes is a quick text. 140 characters is not so much of a, a commitment of my time right. that I feel overwhelmed. Uh, and I, I do find myself interacting there. My, my Twitter ID is uh, Seth Anakim, um, S E T H A N I K E E M. Uh, which is my boy name, actually, Seth Anakim. Um, 
if anybody ever was curious. Nice, nice. Uh, that's my online handle for a number of different things. But so you're very easy to stalk. Yeah, yeah like Twitter, I, Facebook. I'm on TV. It's really <laughs> you're on TV. To, yes. Yeah, I, I need to be easy to stalk. It's part of the part of the territory, I guess. Awesome. Well, it's late at night, but that's your time at night, not oh, so yeah. much mine. And middle of my to, day. <laughs> I need to get to bed and get on the road in the morning. So thanks for giving us a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. It's been great chatting with you this weekend. This is fun. So awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Yes. Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. Visit Adventures in Sexuality at adventuresinsexuality.org. Do you want to be part of the Erotic Awakening? Do you? I do, I do. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to share about your favorite kink and event podcast or book? Well, do you? I would. I'd okay. love to. <laughs> well, you should toss me an email at, at dananddawn at eroticawakening.com so I can hear what you have to say. Mm. Did you know you can buy the new book, Living MS, by Dan and Dawn, as well as an Erotic Awakening t-shirt, Got messenger one. bag, Don't have one. <laughs> coffee mug, need to get one, simply by visiting the shop and support page of the Erotic Awakening website. Any dollar and 20 cents we make from anything sold on the site goes directly back into the continuing educational mission of Erotic Awakening. Thank you for your support. I'm going to do this one like Merrick did. Okay. Did you know that... Oh, wait, the wrong one. (laughs) For all your rope and erotic wooden toy needs. See, I fucked it up already. (laughs) We highly recommend Maui Kink. Visit Maui Kink at www.mauikink.com. And when ordering, don't forget to select that you heard about them via... Erotic Awakening on the checkout form. Woohoo! <laughs> the spanking bench is right there. <laughs> music heard on Erotic Awakening is provided by Pocket Universe for music that has been crafted and designed for scenes that range from sensual to dynamic BDSM. Visit them at www.pocketuniversemusic.com. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dan. <laughs>